We're going to do something a little bit different tonight, and honestly, I've been struggling with it all day, so I'm going to put that off for a few more minutes, and I'm going to, uh, I'm going to uh, delay just a little bit before we get there. So let's review just a little bit what we've talked about uh, with meekness. We've said first, the meek patiently endure the present in light of the future, right? The, the meek are those that are patiently enduring the present in light of the future, and we talked about how anav the Hebrew word that we translate as meek really carries with it the idea of being oppressed or persecuted, suffering, afflicted, poor. So it carries with it that idea. You can't be a nov unless you're suffering something, right? And so it implies that you are enduring something. But the promises that go with the meekness implies that you are patiently enduring the present because you have your eyes fixed on what's coming in the future. Number two, the meek surrender their enemies to God. They trust that God is going to bring down their enemies. Number three, the meek in Christ fully embrace the good news of God's reign, living as if future rewards are already a present reality, right? Living right now in the kingdom of God, living right now embracing what will be because it already is, and will continue to be, and will be so even more in the future. And then finally, it's not so much that we're seeking to be meek. Again, because you can't be meek, you cannot be a nov unless you're suffering something. Specifically, you're suffering persecution, or affliction, or poverty. Um, and I guess we could put any of the suffering that we go through sort of in that category. We can all understand what it's like to go through challenges and difficulties, but there are some people in the world and in history, and especially those to whom these letters and books were written, who truly, truly suffered in ways that I personally can't really even wrap my mind around and imagine. Um, so it's not so much that we seek to be afflicted, we don't seek to suffer, we don't seek to be poor, we don't seek to be oppressed, we don't seek to go through horrible things, uh, but we seek to walk by the Spirit, right? We talked last week about walking by the Spirit. So our desire isn't so much to be meek, but our desire is to walk by the Spirit. And a part, an aspect, a characteristic of walking by the Spirit, of living a Spirit-filled, Spirit-led life, walking by the Spirit as opposed to walking by the flesh, right? Not walking by the flesh, walking by the Spirit. And an aspect of that is meekness. It is meekness. So meekness is an aspect, is one aspect of living a Spirit-led life, living by the Spirit. And that way... When suffering comes, when oppression comes, when persecution comes, this is how you respond, right? You respond with gentleness. That's one of the ways that the New Testament translates the word that, that it uses, praus, and that's how it translates that word is gentleness, or meekness, you respond to suffering, you respond to oppression, you respond to poverty, you respond to being hurt with meekness and gentleness. Why? Just because you like being meek because you're trying really hard to be meek? No, because you are enduring the present in light of the future, because you fully embrace the good news of God's reign, because you're surrendering your enemies to God. You can respond 
to that oppression and persecution with meekness and gentleness because you know to whom you belong and you know the promises that he's made to his people and you know what you have currently and what you will have in the future. You know that God reigns through Jesus Christ. If anybody just walked in and missed the announcement at the beginning, we are having a combined class Sunday morning, 9.30, talk about Brighter Together. Our shepherds are going to be sharing with us about that. So, meekness. This is what we've gotten so far in building up. We're going to really start to transition in the next couple lessons as we close out this series. We're really going to start to transition into what are these promises? What does Jesus mean by the meek will inherit the earth? And so we're going to talk about really having our eyes set on the future. If meekness can really only be an aspect and a characteristic, a quality of people who endure the present in light of the future, who are living in the moment and doing good in the moment and being faithful in the moment because they know who they are, to whom they belong, what they have, but also the promises that they haven't yet obtained but will. We call that hope, right? Because of hope, because we have an anxious expectation, we, we often use, it, use hope in a different way. We talk about hope like wishful thinking, right? But hope in a biblical sense isn't wishful thinking. It's confident expectation. I know that this belongs to me. I know that this is my inheritance. I know what is coming to me. I know what God will do for his people because I know who God is and I know what his character is. If we are going to be the kind of people who live with meekness, who live in the present, in a meek and gentle, in a, in a way that endures the present, endures the suffering, then we have to be a people that that understand and see the promises and the hope that we have as followers of Jesus. Let's talk a little bit, though, about heroes. Heroes. You can tell a lot about a culture, I think, by the, the mythical heroes that they create for themselves, right? And every culture probably has those, right? I don't know because I've never lived in every culture, but every culture that I know of has myths and legends, has mythical characters, and they, they lift them up as, as heroes, right? Archetypes of, of certain qualities that they appreciate and they sort of glamorize and they say, see, yes, wouldn't it be great if we were all like this person? So in our culture, whether that's kids' characters or even adults' characters, what are, what are some of the, the characters, the mythical characters... Shout, shout something out. Who? Superman. Superman. Okay, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Superman. Who else? He-Man. He, he that's good. He-Man, yeah. Masters of the universe. Okay, you can always tell somebody's generation, right? The heroes that they throw out. He-Man, Superman. What else? I, I missed it. Oh, She-Ra. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we want an equal opportunity here, right? Yeah, absolutely. What else? Captain America, absolutely. Get some Marvel in there too, right? What else? What's that? Wonder Woman. Yeah, okay, yeah, good. I'm glad we're keeping it balanced. That's good, that's good, that's good. You can throw in Black Widow and, you know, Gamora and, you know, there's, okay. So we could talk about superheroes, right? But it's not just all superheroes, right? We, I was thinking, you don't even really have to name the character, but like 
pretty much any character that John Wayne or Clint Eastwood or Arnold Schwarzenegger, any of the characters that they played in movies, right? Uh, they, those become sort of mythical legends and, and characters. They become heroes, right? What, what can you tell about American culture, and probably not just American culture, but because most of us are Americans, you know, it's our culture. What can you tell about our culture? It's probably Western culture, that, that these are our heroes. Is, is meekness, however you define meekness, whether you define meekness in a biblical sort of way or you define meekness as the world defined, it doesn't really matter. Is meekness, by any definition, a character of any of those heroes? Not really. Patiently enduring the present in light of the future? Is that a character, character trait of any of our heroes in our culture? Maybe some Superman. Yeah, maybe some Superman. Superman's got some of those qualities, doesn't he? But, but even, even with Superman or Captain America, some of those m maybe more meek characters, who do we depend on? Who do even they depend on to save the day? Their superpowers, themselves, right? Themselves. And in fact, that, that's what we, we don't really want a superhero. We don't watch those movies or read the comic books or watch the cartoons because we want a superhero. It's because we want to be a superhero, isn't it? It's because we want to be Superman. We want to be Captain America. We want to be John Wayne. We want to be Clint Eastwood. We want to be the person who takes action, who has the power to save the day. We don't want to wait patiently while the bad guys seem to be winning in order for someone else to come in and save the day. We want action now, and we want to be the people that take action. We don't want to be helpless. We, we don't want to have to wait and endure and be patient. We wouldn't be action or we even call the little, they're not dolls, okay? So don't tell any of the boys that they're dolls. We, call, we don't call them dolls. We call them action figures, right? Because they're not passive figures. They're action figures. They're not waiting figures. They're not patient figures. They're action figures. They take action. That's, that's what we glamorize. We glamorize taking action. We glamorize, even sometimes, depending on the hero, we glamorize vengeance. We glamorize action. We gl glamorize rebels, soldiers, warriors, sometimes even vigilantes. We, we look at that and we say, yes, somebody's got to step up and take care of the bad guy. And so we, we even have a tendency, this just popped into my head, but we even have a tendency to read the Bible that way, don't we? We have this tendency to read stories, uh, probably the, one of the most well-known stories in the whole Bible. If I say David and Goliath, right? It's funny, we never say David and Jonathan, right? We always say David and Goliath. That's the story we all think of. In fact, they even use that in business, right? Business, it was a David and Goliath story, right? Or, you know, in a boxing match, it's a David and Goliath matchup, right? It was a little guy and a big guy. And we all imagine ourselves being David. But if you had been an Israelite on that day when David went down into the Valley of Elah, you weren't David. You weren't David. 
And if you had been one of the countless Israelites who read that story generations and generations and generations later, you weren't even a descendant of David, probably. You were a descendant of one of the men that was on the sidelines waiting. Who will be our warrior? Who will step up and defeat the enemy? Who will God raise up? We want to be equal opportunity, right? Male and female. So you, you got a story like Esther, right? Esther. And, and Esther is, is put into a position where she becomes the queen of Persia, right? And Mordecai, who raised her, says to her, God, God raised you up for such a time as this, right? And if you don't take care of it, God will raise up someone else. We all imagine that we are Esther. It's an interesting way to read those stories. We read those stories like these are action figures that we're supposed to step into their characters. I, I think instead, you're supposed to imagine yourself like one of the countless Israelites that are around that God raised up this single person to defeat the enemies and save his people. And you're, sometimes you're not David. Maybe, maybe sometimes you are David. Maybe sometimes you are Esther. But a lot of the times you're not. The stories and the heroes and the, the, the myths and the legends that we adopt and that we like to watch and listen to and put ourselves into, they invite us to imagine that you're the warrior. Invite us to imagine that you're the savior. Invite us to imagine that you're the hero. But the story of scripture invites us to imagine that you patiently wait for God to save you. And what do you do while you wait? How do you live while you wait? That doesn't mean that you're passive. That means you're a different kind of warrior. You're a different kind of soldier. Meekness is not passivity in the sense of doing nothing. Meekness is doing something very different. It's active trust and it's active doing good while you suffer. Now that, that friends, is not the message I want to deliver because <laughs> I'm a red-blooded American too. And I watched He-Man and I watched Thundercats and I watched G.I. Joe and those were my heroes, okay? So to tell me the story you're actually a part of, Wes, is one where you may have to suffer one where you're, you don't become the rebel and the vigilante and the warrior who takes matters into your own hands and who brings down the enemy, that you trust in your God. So I want to read to you, and this is the weird, different part that I want to do tonight. I don't typically do this, so bear with me. Every time I've ever done this at any congregation, we've all been blessed by it, but it makes me nervous every time. I was going to read to you the whole book of 1 Peter. I'm going to just read part of it, okay? So you got off easy, so okay? So bear with me. But I do, I want to read to you 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 13. If you got your Bible, you can follow along. I'm not going to put it on the screen, frankly, because that was a lot of slides to make, and I just didn't do that, but... And because I was afraid I would chicken out on doing this exact thing. But I want you to imagine as we read it that you're a Christian, a follower of Jesus, living in one of the communities to which Peter is writing this letter. Peter writes this letter to Christians that are scattered throughout the region. 
and imagine someone arrives in your church community. Maybe you meet in a small house church and maybe there's you and maybe 12 or 15 other people and you're gathered around. Peter's written you a letter and you know that Peter knows about your situation and that things are getting really hard. In fact, you don't know this yet, but Peter is a, going to be probably crucified by Nero within the same decade that this letter is written. Within a few years, Peter is going to be killed by Nero. And so things are getting tough. People aren't dying quite yet, but things are hard. And people don't like the fact that you are a Christian. In fact, this is one of the few places you find that word Christian. And when people call you a Christian, it's not a compliment probably. They know who you are and they don't like it. And so you're hoping that Peter's got some encouragement for you. What do we do now? What do we do as people that are under the heel of our community? Some of us, Peter, some of us are living in families where our own spouse isn't a follower of Jesus and they don't like who we follow and they don't like who we are. They don't believe like we believe. What do we do then? Some of us are servants in houses that have masters that are horrible and treat us like dirt. What do we do then? Some of us are merchants and nobody will buy from us because we're followers of Jesus. Some of us are trying to sell our goods and people won't buy our goods because we're followers of Jesus. Some of us used to have something and now we've lost everything because we're followers of Jesus. What do we do now, Peter? And Peter writes you and your church family this letter. Here's part of it. 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 13. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor Everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust, for this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, you, if when you sin, you're beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, 
He did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you've been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now who is there to harm you if you're zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them nor be troubled. But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you're slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it's better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but being made alive in the spirit in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly didn't obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience 
through the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality and passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they're surprised when you don't join them in the same flood of debauchery. And they malign you, but they will give an account to him who's ready to judge the living and the dead, for this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled, sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks, as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves, as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or even as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, Let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will Entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Do do we see? Several things come to my mind as I read this passage. One is the way we've abused some of the passages within that. When things like slavery were legal in this country and around the world, followers of Jesus, or they wanted to believe they were followers of Jesus, would use the passages about servants to say, see, right here, it says that you, servants, have to obey me, the master. Is that the way Peter intended for this passage to be used? No. 
God forbid. He intended for every follower of Jesus to be submissive. Every follower of Jesus to be meek. Every follower of Jesus to suffer while doing what? Good. Over and over and over and over and over again. Whatever your station in life is. Whatever your role is. Whoever you are. Your job is to do good. And wait. And wait. Because God's glory, the glory of Christ Jesus our Lord will be revealed. And all of it will be worthwhile. Just Wait, and I know it's hard and you're suffering, but what's our, or shall I say, who is our example? At least twice in that passage, who does he tell them to look to? Jesus, Christ. And he says, look to Jesus. And it isn't look at Jesus. Whenever we say, I'm a follower of Jesus, or I want to be like Jesus, or Jesus is my example, or we wear the little WWJD, what would Jesus do? And that's a good question, what would Jesus do? But do we realize that almost every time, arguably every time in the New Testament, that the apostles in their letters encourage Christians to follow the example of Jesus, it isn't about morality, They never say things, I'm not saying this would be wrong to say, well, Jesus didn't tell a lie, so you shouldn't tell lies. That's not how they used the example of Jesus. It wasn't, Jesus didn't do that, so you shouldn't do that. Jesus didn't do that, so you shouldn't do that. Every single time, or nearly every single time, they say, follow the example of Jesus. What are they talking about? Suffering. Every time, suffering. Take up your cross and follow him. Isn't that what Jesus himself said? Luke chapter 14, he says, listen, if you're going to follow me, you need to know this is the cost of discipleship. You have to become the enough. You, you have to be willing to suffer. You have to be willing to die. You have to be willing to be a martyr. You have to be willing to follow me, whatever the cost is. Now, that doesn't mean that we seek suffering. It doesn't mean we seek persecution. It doesn't mean we seek to be oppressed. Absolutely not. Of course not. But it does mean that challenges come. And suffering comes. And oppression comes. And to our brothers and sisters across the world, it is coming right now. And maybe, maybe someday it comes to you and I in ways that it never has in our culture, in our world. And how will we address it? And how will we act? And how will we respond? Will we respond like Batman or like Jesus? Like rebels and vigilantes and action heroes? Or those who do what we are, Peter says twice, to this you were called. To what? Be good, don't do all the bad stuff. Yep, that's part of it. But specifically, to this you were called. Suffer for doing good. That's not very John Wayne. That's not very Clint Eastwood. That's not very Arnold Schwarzenegger, right? It's not, but it is very Jesus. Suffer while doing good. And again, it's not passivity. It's not that Peter says, do nothing. Hide in your houses. Everybody run and hide and just don't do anything. Nope. Go out into the world. You've been anointed and sanctified and consecrated as a royal priesthood. You go out into the world and you bless When you're cursed, 
you bless them. When you're reviled, you don't revile in return. When you're cursed, when, you're, you, when, you, when you suffer, you don't threaten. You go out in the world and you do good to them. Paul says the exact same thing, doesn't he? If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. This is the life that we are called to glamorize, to emulate, to say, I don't want to be the rebel. I don't want to be the action hero. I want to follow Jesus. And that's really hard, isn't it? And it's especially hard when we don't keep our eyes on Jesus. And I'm guilty of this because it feeds my flesh. It feeds my flesh to listen to and watch stories of vengeance. It feeds my flesh. And I think, yeah, that's right. The bad guys get what's coming to them. And yeah, I want to be the guy to give the bad guys what's coming to them. It feeds my flesh. And all that does is light the world more and more on fire. Paul says we don't overcome evil with evil. We overcome evil with good. Jesus says, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Peter says, to this you were called to suffer while doing good. And look to Jesus who entrusted himself to his creator. He entrusted himself to God. So here's our sort of moment of truth or our ending statement. Meekness is sharing Christ's sufferings. Did you see that in verse 13? Rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. Is that? Is that what we think? Do, do we think that Jesus is right when he says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake? Or do we think, Jesus, you don't know what you're talking about. Blessed are those who are persecuted. That's cute. No, that's not true. Jesus, you're wrong. Those people aren't blessed. They're, they should be pitied. People who suffer for righteousness sake People that are good people and suffer in spite of it. People that follow God and follow Jesus and they're persecuted. They're to be pitied. And Jesus says, no. Woe to you when all men speak well of you. Woe to you when you're rich. Woe to you when you're comfortable. That's the dangerous position to be in. But blessed are you when you're persecuted for righteousness sake. And Peter says, rejoice. It's not that you go out and you seek to share Christ's suffering, but how would you respond to it if it came? Church, I'm disturbed by the way we as American Christians tend to respond to just the threat of sharing in Christ's suffering. When people even talk about taking away a right or people talk about making life more uncomfortable for Christians, do I want that? Do I seek that? Do I think we ought to applaud that? No, but nor do I think we ought to respond with hate, yelling and screaming. When, when the Christians were first taken and beaten because they were followers of Jesus, what did they do? 
They went on their way rejoicing that they were counted worthy of suffering for the name. And Peter says, listen, I know things are getting hard. Honor the emperor. I know things are getting hard. Respect everyone. I know things are getting hard. Do good and love them anyway. Rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. This whole passage, this whole book is meekness, isn't it? This is a book about meekness. Meekness is sharing Christ's sufferings. Trusting God. That's what Jesus did. Do you, you, did you notice that Jesus, verse 23 of chapter 2, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. He continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Jesus says, you don't have any power over me that my father didn't give you. My father will vindicate me. My father will raise me up. I have nothing to fear. I trust myself to him. And then Peter ends this passage, chapter 4 and verse 19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. This is what meekness is all about. Enduring the present in light of the future. I trust my heavenly Father. Meekness is sharing Christ's sufferings, trusting in God, and doing good. It's not doing nothing. It's not doing nothing. This isn't being passive. It's being active. It is being an action hero, but a different kind of action hero. It is being a soldier, but a different kind of soldier. And it takes more courage and more boldness to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. It takes more courage and more boldness to say, in the face of insults, in the face of persecution, I will not insult in return. I will not persecute in return. I will not seek vengeance. I will do what? Good. I will feed you when you're hungry. I will give you drink when you're thirsty. I will pray for you. This is what it looks like to follow Jesus. It's not enough, church. If we just stop at where Peter says, hey, look, don't get drunk and don't be going to these drinking parties and don't go to orgies and don't be involved in all this immorality of the world. We like that, right? It's like, oh yeah, that's good church talk, right? Right there. Let's just stop right there. Just don't do all that bad stuff. But we are called to something, a life of going out into the world and blessing those and loving those, serving those who are not only the least deserving, but that hate us the most. And we have it fairly easy comparatively, don't we? And even if it gets tougher, meekness is how Jesus calls us to respond. Let's pray. Father, I know what you've said. And I can read it, but it's hard. Father, help me to keep my eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Help us all, Father, to keep our eyes on Jesus. If we're insulted or we're persecuted or we're suffering or we're oppressed, may we keep our eyes on Jesus knowing that when his glory is revealed, that whatever we suffer now does not even begin to compare with the inheritance that we will receive. Father, we believe that the meek are blessed.
because we will inherit the earth. We believe that the persecuted are blessed. We believe that if we hunger and thirst for righteousness, we will be filled by you. Thank you, Father, for all that you've given us, all that you are giving us, all that you've promised us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.